Father, we just uh, plead for your grace and power and the ministry of the Spirit to open up the Word of God to us today. We are conscious, Lord, of no power in ourself to understand your Word or to, to walk in it without your Spirit helping us. And Lord, I'm very dependent upon that work of your Spirit to be able to instruct and teach and do anything worthwhile today. So please, Lord, come among us and minister truth that we might be transformed. And especially as it applies to the sin of worry that we're so prone to fall into, each one of us. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read Luke 12, 22-34. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds! And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everybody knew Bill as a worrywart. He was constantly worrying. He had this dejected look on his face. He had a crease in his brow. He was just afraid and stressed out all the time. And one day, Joe was looking at, over at Bill at work, and he noticed this complete difference in his life. He had a spring in his step, a big smile on his face. He was humming a happy tune. And Joe said, Bill, what's gotten into you? You're not worrying. He said, I know. It's wonderful. I haven't worried in weeks. And Joe said, well, what happened? I mean, this is incredible. What happened to you? He said, well, I just hired somebody to do my worrying for me. I've never heard of such a thing. What do you mean you hired someone to do your worrying for you? I mean, how much did it cost to hire him? $1,000 a week? $1,000 a week? How in the world are you going to come up with that kind of money to pay him? He says, well, that's his worry, not mine. <laughs> and that little story, it, it reminds me that wouldn't it be great if we had somebody that could worry for us so we didn't have to? Well, that's what the Bible teaches is true. We have a God who cares for us, and He exhorts us to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. And He doesn't charge us anything. It's absolutely free. And we're going to be looking at 
this idea of worrying and why it is sinful and what we can do to overcome it this morning. So that's our topic. The word worry comes from an old English word and it's spelled Y or excuse me, W-Y-R-G-A-N. We're gone, I suppose, is how you would pronounce this. But the word means to strangle. And so worry really has to do with strangling our mind, strangling your emotions, it's choking you. And it does even more than that, doesn't it? Because worry can affect your body. It can produce stomach ulcers. It can cause your skin to break out in hives or boils. It can give you heart issues and problems. So worry is very destructive to your body. It's destructive to your mind. And in the first century, we have to think of the people Jesus was originally speaking to. What kinds of things do you think that they would have been worried about in the first century? So the things that came to me were things like drought. Same thing that we're experiencing today. What did you say? Yeah, the harvest, exactly. Because they were an agrarian society. Most of them were farmers. They depended upon their farms and their crops and livestock. So what if a, a, a big group of locusts swarmed in and ate everything in sight? That's going to destroy their cattle because there's nothing to eat. They might starve to death themselves. So these would be some of the things that they would be worrying about. Now, in our day and age, it's a little bit different. I think we think we worry about things like uh, terrorist attacks or Ebola breaking out in the U.S., or our children being abducted or kidnapped, or cancer, or being laid off of work, perhaps. Um, these are the kinds of things that go through our mind. Maybe it's health issues that we have and we think they're going to get worse, or aging and the suffering that's going to come to us as we age. But we all have them, don't we? We all have worries. We all have anxieties. In this passage here, Jesus is directly commanding his disciples not to worry in three different places. Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry. There's a command from the Lord of heaven. Do not worry, he says. Then look at verse 29. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. Or look at verse 32. Do not be afraid. Isn't worry really a form of fear? We're afraid of the future. So three times in this passage, he commands them not to worry. And that tells me that worry must be sin. Because if Jesus commands us not to do it, and we go on and do it, then we're sinning against his command. So this might not be one of the Ten Commandments, but it is a command of Jesus Christ. We are not to worry as Christians. Now that's easier said than done. So that's the reason that Jesus spent so much time instructing them about worry and how they could overcome it. In the book Worry-Free Living by Frank Minereth and Paul Meyer, they make this statement. We suggest setting aside 15 minutes in the morning and another 15 minutes in the evening for active worry. If concerns surface during other times of the day, the person should jot them down on a card and vow to deal with them during the designated period. Worry-free living involves confining the natural worry we all feel into a designated time slot of only 1% of a 12-hour day. Now, is that good advice? Take your worries and confine them to 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening. 
Is that good? That doesn't conform to what Jesus just said, does it? He said, don't do it at all. That's like saying, I'm only going to lust for 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening, and then I'm not going to lust the rest of the day. You know, we, we laugh at that, don't we? Because, yeah, this is horrible advice. It's encouraging us to keep on sinning just to try to put a cap on it at some point in your life. Worry is sin, and to encourage people to do it at all is not godly advice. It's, it's bad advice. So how can we overcome this sin? Well, I think as we read Jesus' instructions and understand what he taught about this, we can get a handle on it. The, the good news is that we don't have to worry at all. It's not something that we inevitably have to do. In fact, we can stop worrying, and we can put it in the Lord's hands and not be anxious about things again if we will follow what Jesus tells us to do in this passage. Now, he tells us about this sin of worry five different times. Verse 22, do not worry. Verse 25, which of you by worrying? Verse 26, why do you worry about other matters? Verse 29, do not keep worrying. And then verse 32, do not be afraid. Of course, that's another form of worry. So that's his subject in this passage. And it links with the previous passage, which had to do with covetousness and the rich fool. Do you remember that one? Last Sunday? It links with that because one of the reasons people become covetous is because they worry. They're afraid about the future, and so they try to store up as much as they can so that when they enter the future, they'll have enough so that they won't have a lack. And so they, they try to have more and more and more now so that in the future, if something should happen, well, they'll have sufficient means to take care of it. So the sin of covetousness can be destroyed in large part if we can kill this sin of worry. Do you see how that works? So that's how the two passages link up together. What I want to do this morning is show five different reasons why we should never worry from the, the instructions and the lips of Jesus Christ. So let's assign a title. Let's just call this Overcoming Worry this morning. And I want to show you Five things about worry that if we really took them to heart would help us to kill worry in our life. So number one, worry is irrational. It's irrational. I Meaning it's not logical. Uh, if you apply some common sense principles to it, you'll find out it doesn't even make sense. And there's two arguments Jesus, is Jesus uses about this irrationality of worry. He talks about the argument of greater to lesser. And then he flips it on its head and gives the other argument, lesser to greater. So let me show you those two. First of all, the argument of greater to lesser. Look at verse 23. He says, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. So he's saying, life and the body are the greater things, the more valuable things. Life is greater than food. It takes food to sustain life, but life is greater than food. And the body is greater than clothing. Now it takes clothing to cover and warm the body, but the body itself is greater than those clothes that sustain it. So the argument is, if God has already given you the more valuable thing, life and a body, 
Do you think he's not going to come through with the little things that you need to sustain that life and to warm that body? You see, as you work your way through this passage, there are two basic areas that Jesus keeps hitting over and over, food and clothing. Notice verse 22. Don't worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Food and clothing. And then he goes on in verse 23, life is more than food, the body more than clothing. There again we have food and clothing. And the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 6 is parallel to verse 29, and do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and Matthew says, and what you will put on. So Jesus in his mind has two things involved, food and clothing. Don't worry about those things. Those are the basic needs that men have. God's going to take care of them. You don't have to be anxious at all about those kinds of things. And what he's going to do is give an illustration that relates to food, that's the ravens, and then he's going to give an illustration that relates to clothing, that's the lilies. And he's going to show us how that God takes care of the ravens, God takes care of the lilies, and you're way more valuable than ravens or lilies, so you can make sure that God is going to take care of you. So here's the first big idea. Um, God has already given you life. I mean, how miraculous is that, that you have life? And this complex body that works so intricately and with such complexity, everything working together in order and the members working together, if he's done this greater big thing, surely he can give you the food you need to sustain the life and the clothing to warm your body. Okay? It would be kind of like if one of us had the means to buy this $10 million mansion. So we bought, we emptied our life savings and bought this mansion. And then we decided that we're going to move out for six months, but we leave the doors open and we leave the windows open and take off the screens. And so birds fly in, dogs and cats and insects are going in inside of the house. You've got squirrels and mice and rats <laughs> taking over the house for the six months that we're gone. You think, nobody would ever do that, right? It's stupid to spend all your money and then not take care and maintain that beautiful house that you bought. Well, God's given you a mansion. Isn't he going to take care of that mansion that he's given to you? Or is he going to just let it to rot and be destroyed by not providing the food and the clothing that you need to take care of this mansion, this body? Okay, so that's the argument of greater to lesser. What about lesser to greater? The first one is an illustration of these ravens in verse 24. Consider the ravens. It's like this black crow that feeds on carnage and flesh. For they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Now, ravens aren't worried. Have you ever noticed a raven wringing its wings in worry, you know, or a big furrow creasing the brow of a raven. What am I going to do? Where am I going to eat? They have no storerooms, so they don't ever store up food for the next day. They just wake up. Do birds sleep? They must sleep, right? Well, anyway, they wake up, and they just expect that God's going to lead them to their meal for that day. No worries, no storing up for the future, and in this, they're completely different from that rich fool. Because he was trying to store up as much as he could in these great big barns for many years to come. So I think there's a direct comparison 
between the stupidity of the rich fool not trusting God and these ravens that trust him every day and God comes through for the ravens God provides for them every single day he provides worms here or some dead animal over there that they can eat so that's how they get by and the point Jesus makes here is that you are more valuable than these birds these birds are not made in God's image these birds are not joint heirs with Christ these birds are not headed for heaven they're just perishable animals we are immortal beings we have the Spirit of God living within us. We're made in His image. We're headed for eternal glory. Don't you think if God cares for birds, that He would also care for His own creatures that He has saved and redeemed by the blood of His own Son? So that's the argument of Jesus here. And then He also gives us another example of this second one, the lesser to the greater, with the lilies. Look at 27. Not only are we to consider the ravens, He says consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And there he's referring to toiling or spinning by making clothing. They don't work really hard at making clothing. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. What was King Solomon most noted for? Well, you, actually, you're right. Secondly, what's he noted for? for? Number one, for wisdom. Number two, his wealth. The richest man in all the world. He had the most expensive clothes anybody could adorn themselves with. And Jesus said, look at, look at those clothes that King Solomon wore. They don't hold a candle to this little flower that you can go out and pick. I mean, if you put King Solomon's garments under a microscope, they'd look like burlap, sackcloth. And take one petal from a flower that God has created and put it under the same microscope and you see the texture and the color and the design that no human being can even duplicate. It's just, there's no comparison between what God can do in a flower and what we can try to do with all our expensive wisdom and work. So that's his comparison. These, these flowers don't work to clothe themselves. God clothes them with a beautiful body, more exquisite in beauty than anything that we can come up with. And, and he also says in verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much will he clothe you, O men of little faith? In other words, the lilies are not as valuable as we are. They're here today, gone tomorrow. A peasant woman, if she wants to warm herself up in her, her hovel, <laughs> will go outside and gra grab some wildflowers and throw them in the furnace to, to warm up her little hut very quickly. They, the grass doesn't last very long. It's not valuable like human beings which endure for all eternity. And that's his point both times. We are more valuable than ravens. We are more valuable than lilies. Yet if God clothes and feeds them, don't you know he's going to clothe and feed you? We can trust him to do that. So the argument is, it's, it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. Apply logic to this whole area of anxiety and you'll find out it's, it's an irrational thing to worry. Because if God clothes and feeds lesser creatures on his planet, surely he'll do that for you. Okay. Secondly, worry is useless. 
I'm just going to write useless here. You're, you know I'm talking about worry. Worry is useless. Look at um, verse 25. Verse 25. And which of you by worrying could add a single, literally it's cubit, our Bible says hour, but literally can add a single cubit to his lifespan. Now does anybody know what a cubit is? Yeah, that's right. From your elbow to the tip of your finger. It's about 18 inches. So think of your life as a journey, a 100-mile journey. That's your lifespan. Okay, that's the distance from here to San Francisco. Let's just imagine that that journey is the, the span of your life. By worrying, could you add an extra 18 inches to that journey? Jesus said, no. Worry is powerless to do anything. It's powerless to add any additional length of life to your lifespan. Um, over in Psalm 139, I want you to hear these words from David. In verse 16, he says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. So God saw David when he was in the womb of his mother. And he says, In your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now think about that. God has a book. And in that book, God had written down the exact number of days that were ordained for David when he had not lived out a single day at all. He hadn't even been born yet. He was in his mother's womb. And inscribed in God's book were the exact numbers of days that David was going to live. David was not going to be able to increase the number of days or lessen the number of days that were already ordained and recorded in God's book. So that's what Jesus is teaching here. Worrying is not going to do anything for you. It's useless. It can't increase the number of your days. The rich fool thought differently, didn't he? He was thinking to himself, I've got many years to come. I'll just put more grain and crops and those bigger barns, and I'll be set for life. Yet he didn't know that that very night God was going to require his soul. That was the number of days ordained for that rich fool. So worry is absolutely useless. Now think about this. The things we worry about, either they're going to happen, or they're not going to happen. If they're going to happen, worry didn't prevent them from happening, did they? Our worry didn't stop it, because it happened. <laughs> if it's not going to happen, then our worry was useless. It was wasted emotional and mental energy that we could have put to better use. And in fact, if you worry about something that ends up happening, you've suffered twice. <laughs> First, the trauma of making it go around in your mind and anticipating the suffering, and then the actual suffering later. You see why useless is actually crazy? It doesn't do any good, and it actually hurts us. And Jesus, that's what he's saying here. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? It's not going to do you any good. It's only going to hurt you. So don't do it. You're only hurting yourself. Now, thirdly, here's another argument. Worry is unbelieving. Worry is unbelieving, and there's... Two different things I want you to focus on. First of all, verse 30. 
He says, For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father, that's the word I want you to meditate on, your Father knows that you need these things. What kind of a father would know about the needs of his children that they need a dinner and would decide that he's going to do nothing to take care of their needs? Say, say you know somebody with small children and, and you meet those children and you, they have this worried look all over their face and you say, well, what's the matter? Why are you worried? Well, I just don't know if mom and dad are going to give me dinner tonight. You know, you, we'd call the social services on people like that, wouldn't you? And, and report them for child abuse, that they're not willing to feed their children. What, what kind of a God is our Father? Is He a God that is faithful and is loving and is kind and is generous toward His children? Can He be trusted, right, to provide the needs of His children? Worry is unbelieving. Now, if we took just three of the attributes of God, Let's just take three of them this morning. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he is good. He's omnipotent, there's nothing that he can't do. He's omniscient, nothing ever takes him by surprise. He knows about absolutely everything. Nothing comes into existence that he already hasn't anticipated and known about before. Okay? So he can do anything he wants, nothing ever takes him by surprise. And he's good and loving and kind. So with just those three attributes alone to arm you, you ought to be able to believe that God is going to provide your needs. He's a good father that cares for you. Now, the second little phrase I wanted you to notice is in verse 28 at the very end. He says, you men of little faith. Little faith worries. Great faith doesn't worry at all. If you worry, it's a sign that you don't have very much faith. Because if we really trusted the promise of God, we wouldn't, we wouldn't worry. Jesus says in verse um, 31, 31, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. That's a promise. If we believe that promise, we wouldn't worry. Now here, of course, we're talking about food and clothing. Needs, not greeds, not wants, but the needs of our life, God has promised to take care of. So yeah, it's, it's unbelieving. Now, faith is really making a judgment about God. What judgment are we making about God when we believe His Word? Yes, He can be trusted. He's trustworthy. Uh, unbelief is also making about a judgment about God. God can't be trusted. That's why I'm worried. I can't trust God to provide for me. If we put it in bold claims like that, we see why it's sinful. We're actually insulting God's character. Because God has told us He's going to do it, and we're saying, I can't trust you to do what you've said. It reminds me of a statement over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. The one who believes... And the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning His Son. Do you and I really want to call God a liar? But when we worry, we're calling God a liar. Because God has said 
He's going to take care of our needs. And we're saying, my judgment is that you're not going to do that. So that's why I'm afraid about the future. So, Lord, you're really a liar. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. If I told you that in 1979, I played the five-string banjo in a gospel bluegrass band called Gloryland, and we traveled the western United States, and at the end of that one-year stint, we cut an album, and you said, I don't think that's true. What you're basically doing is calling me a liar, because I just told you that's true. And you're insulting my integrity. That's what we do to God when we don't believe what he said. He's plainly told us here, hasn't he? I mean, it's, there's nothing confusing about what he's saying. It makes perfect sense. Jesus wants us to know and he wants us to believe that God is a father who will take care of our needs. And if we doubt him, if we worry about things, we're unbelieving and we're insulting his very character. And then number four, worry is pagan. Worry is pagan. Notice um, verse 30. He says, For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. The nations of the world have to worry because they have no covenant God that they can cast their cares on. If they're going to have their needs met, they feel like they've got to do it all themselves. Now when he talks about the nations of the world, he's talking about the Gentiles, the heathen the ungodly out there. And so here the argument is, worry is mimicking the ungodly people of the world. Do you really want to pattern your life after the ungodly? The heathen? That's what you do when you worry. You're acting just like the unsaved. The person who knows that God has saved him also knows he will provide for him. He's brought into covenant relationship to God through Jesus Christ. He's no longer pagan. He's, he's a child of the living God. And so God wants you to shun the old life, which is a life of anxiety and worry, and embrace this new life of trust, knowing that God takes care of his own. And then there's a final argument here of Jesus Christ. Worry is paralyzing. It's paralyzing. And where I get this is verses 31 to 34. Because in these verses, Jesus gives three commands, and then he gives three promises. The commands that he gives us will be impossible as long as we're gripped by worry. We will not be able to obey the Lord, because we'll be crippled, immobilized, to obey him as long as we don't trust him. So here are the three commands. Verse 31. Number one, seek his kingdom. That's first, the first command. Seek God's kingdom. That's in contrast to verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 30. All these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but you seek his kingdom. The, un, the heathen, the pagans of the world, they're seeking after their food and clothing and their, their basic needs. And they're eagerly seeking that. You are to be different from them. You seek God's kingdom. Number two, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to charity. There's the second command of Christ. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, give to charity. And then third, 
Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. Now, there's also three promises that go along with them. The first promise is in verse 31. These things will be added to you. Second promise in verse 32. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you this kingdom. Seek the kingdom because God's chosen gladly to give it to you. And then verse 33. I'm going to give you an unfailing treasure in heaven. Where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. So worry is paralyzing. Now, let's take a look at these three commands briefly. Number one, seek God's kingdom. Think about the relationship of a master to his slave for just a moment. The slave has a relationship and a responsibility to his master. What, what is the responsibility of a slave to a master? What's he supposed to do? Obey him in all things, right? His time, his energy is the property of the master. So his responsibility is just to do whatever that master tells him to do. But what's the responsibility of the master towards the slave? Yeah. Yeah, the, the slave doesn't have to spend any time trying to get his own food or provide himself a place to live or a bed to live in. All of his basic needs are provided by the master. We are slaves of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. He's our master. It's our responsibility to do what he says. Just obey him. And it's his responsibility to look out for our needs. To take care of our food for the day, the clothes we're going to wear, shelter, a place to live. That's his responsibility. So as we look back, well, let, let's just say a few more things about the kingdom. Seek his kingdom, the Bible says. What does that mean? It means that you make the main business of your life to make sure that you enter that kingdom yourself and then you do everything you can to bring others into that kingdom so that the kingdom grows and expands more and more people become subjects of Jesus Christ worshiping Jesus Christ loving him so that his fame and his glory spread throughout the world so the business of a Christian is to get into the kingdom and bring as many people with him into that kingdom Seek ye first, that's what Matthew says in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Number one priority for the Christian. Make the kingdom your priority. Get into the kingdom yourself and bring others into the kingdom with you. That's why what we're doing on Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings as we go out into the harvest and work, that's why that is priority. That should be a priority for every church that they're working to bring other people into the kingdom. Folks, if we're not doing that, we have no business to call ourselves a church. Because the main business of the church, and of people in the church, is to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus teaches here. Both for ourselves and for anybody else that we can influence and impact. And then the second command, sell your possessions and give to charity. I wonder if we've ever obeyed that command before. Can you think of anything you've ever sold that you owned and gave away to someone who needed it? Maybe you had two of something and uh, somebody else had none of those things. Maybe as something as valuable as an, a car. You had two, you didn't need another car. They had zero cars and so you sold one and just gave it away. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is calling his disciples to do. 
so you might think once in a while about the stuff you have. What can you sell that you don't need to bless somebody else with so that they would be enriched? And just give it to the poor. Give it to charity. We need to think about that. Sell your possessions. Give to charity. The third one is um, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. He's talking here about heavenly treasure, isn't he? Don't invest all of your earthly treasure on earth. Invest it in things of eternity, in things of a heavenly nature. Because as you do that, you're going to be making for yourself this money belt. But it's not an earthly one. It's a heavenly money belt that you're going to be able to enjoy in heaven. In other words, you're going to be able to send your riches on ahead of you if you invest them properly in this lifetime. Now, if we lavish all of what we get on ourselves during this lifetime, we'll have no heavenly money belt. <laughs> but by doing what Jesus said, selling your possessions, giving to charity, you're making yourself this money belt which will never wear out. So what does he say here? How do we overcome worry? We re recognize it's irrational. We recognize it's useless. It's not going to accomplish anything anybody. anyway. It, it reflects an unbelieving heart. We're not trusting the Lord. It makes us just like the people of the world that have no faith. We're mimicking them rather than doing what God has called us to do. And it's paralyzing. As long as we're worried about ourselves, we're not going to be selling our possessions and giving to charity. We're not going to be seeking the kingdom first. See, if you know God is going to provide your needs, you don't have to spend all of your time investing in your earthly needs. You can take a chunk of that time and start investing it in the kingdom. Because God's going to take care of those needs. Now that's not to say that we don't work regular jobs or seek to make a living. We do. I mean, that's taught in Scripture as well. It just means our, the overarching emphasis and ambition of our life is not poured solely into our earthly job. It's we invest our energy and time into the kingdom. And then the last one is, like I was saying, it's paralyzing. It immobilizes and cripples us to do what God's called us to do. So, let's say you're facing the temptation to worry. What can you do practically about that? Well, I've got a couple of suggestions to consider this morning. Uh, number one, judge God to be faithful. Let's say something is starting to plague your mind. You're concerned about it. You're afraid about this thing. Okay. Judge God to be faithful. Rehearse in your mind God's attributes. What do you know to be true about God? He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's good. He loves me. He's made promises to take care of me. Rehearse those. I mean, do it. Go to Luke chapter 12 and read this passage again. Remind yourself about God. That's number one. Secondly, pray. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Okay? So don't be anxious about anything. But when you start to be tempted to be anxious, pray about that thing. And in your prayer, remind God, Lord, this is who you are. And I believe it. I believe you're all powerful. I believe you know everything. And I believe you love me and are good. And so, Lord, by your grace, I'm not going to worry about this. I lay this at your feet. I cast it upon your shoulders because I know that you care for me. So attack worry with faith. Attack worry with faith. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us because this is 
something that every one of us is tempted to and struggle with in different areas. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to overcome worry. And I pray, Lord, now as we begin to divide up into groups and talk to each other and confess our sin and pray for each other, that you would bring healing and sanctification and holiness into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.